Lord, I thank you that we have a chance to read your word. I thank you that it is true, it is living, it is active. And I pray that the power of your word would convict us this morning. Lord, even as we think about this week, we know there are many other names that we have followed, many other names that we have bowed down to. I pray that as we read your word and as Daft speaks, we would realize that there is no other name that is worthy. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is in control of everything and is reigning now. Lord, please bless this time together, we pray. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I've become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, And every violation and disobedience revealed its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
distributed according to his will. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son reveals fully who God is. Our God speaks. It's what marks him out from all the the false gods in the world. God speaks, and so we can know him. He has spoken. In the past, in the Old Testament, God spoke in the times before Jesus. He he spoke words of prophecy, of, of law. He spoke words of wisdom. He spoke songs. He spoke from the thunder and the lightning on Mount Sinai to Moses. He spoke through the angel of the Lord to Joshua. He spoke through the still, small voice to Elijah. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many times and in various ways. But in these last work days, he has spoken to us by his son. Gracious words from the God who speaks. These last days. The last days in the Bible are the days between the ascension of the Lord Jesus into heaven and his return to judge the world. We live in these last days. And God speaks today by his son. It's not that what God said before in the Old Testament was was wrong or less true or less worthy. No, it's that the Old Testament was all promise and Jesus is all fulfillment. A bit like one of those paint-by-numbers books you get where you have the the outline of the painting but it's colorless and then you, you put in the beautiful colors of the drawing So Jesus is the color that God has painted onto the promises he made in the Old Testament. So now we see the beauty of who God is in a new and a living way. You see, you're so privileged this morning. We're so privileged to have in our hands the book we do. I think the prophet Isaiah would have walked across broken glass just to be able to have a little look into your New Testament. But the prophet Jeremiah would have eaten his scroll just to be able to read the things that we have about Jesus. You see, they they looked forward to Jesus, but we look back in detail. What does the writer say? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, when Jesus enters our world, he reveals God supremely and accurately. When we see Jesus, we're not seeing someone acting like God. We're not seeing a man who's a bit like God or showing his character or doing some things in the power of God. We are seeing God's glory revealed in the face of Christ. He reveals God's character perfectly. You can't have a more perfect revelation than exact representation, can you? Exact representation of who God is. God has no hidden life behind the closed doors of heaven. God doesn't do Facebook. You know how on Facebook people put up on their wall or on their page. What we put up is in the representation of our being that we'd like people to know us by. But we're very glad that Facebook doesn't have the exact representation of our being. It's not a live feed of our life and our heart's thoughts. 
God doesn't do Facebook though, because what he puts up on his wall is the life and work of his son, and it is the exact representation of his being. Out of it shines his glory. It means it's not like looking at a, a picture, the most glorious picture of the Himalayas. It's like standing at the foot of Everest on a beautiful, clear, sunny day and gazing up at the mountain itself. That means when Jesus silences a storm with a word, we see the God who commands everything in his world. And when Jesus picks up a child and places them, them on his knee, we see that the real tenderness of our God who draws close to us. And when Jesus reaches out and, and touches a leper and says, I am willing to make you clean, he, he grasps the uncleanness himself. We see the genuine, real compassion of our God who will come amongst our filth that we might know him. And when Jesus stretches out his arms wide on a cross, we see the God who loves us, who's willing to take our death for us. He is the exact representation the Son. So if you're not a Christian yet here this morning, the starting place of knowing God is always Jesus. It's why in our church at the moment, what we're encouraging people to do is to get together with, with a friend and look at this Word one-to-one resource. Why? Because it looks at John's account of Jesus' life, and that's where you'll meet God. Why not think about giving someone half an hour with this booklet? If if you've got a Christian friend here, why not ask them, could could you pick up Word one-to-one? We'll read it together. Why not ask me? If, If you haven't got a Christian friend here, I'd love to sit down over a coffee and just look at the person of Jesus with you. And if you are a Christian, perhaps you've been a Christian for some time, Jesus is not just the starting place of knowing God, he's the finishing place too. So does your heart ache to know God more? Well, come to the Son. Come to Jesus and his word. Is your spiritual life feeling a bit dry? Well, come to the Son. Come to Jesus and his word. Do you want to love God more? I want to love God more. Don't you want to love God more? will come to the Son, come to Jesus in his word. God says, I have spoken fully in my Son. But Jesus doesn't just fully reveal God. No, Jesus, the Son, he fully rules the universe he's made. Look at verse 2 with me again. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. All things are the Son's inheritance. There's not a lot left out of all things, is there? It's one of the features of the word all. It tends to be all-encompassing. So all people, well, there's no one not in all people. There's no country that's not part of all nations. There's no possession that's not in all things. Jesus is the one given the right to rule over all things. This is because he, he made them. The one who through the universe was created. Literally, it says the one who through the ages were created. Space time exists because the Son has made it. In fact, he's your only hope of this sermon ever ending. And us not being stuck in a quantum loop where I just go on and on and on and on forever. You're relying on the Son this morning. He made space time. 
More than that, we read in verse 3. Do you see what he does in verse 3? He sustains all things by his powerful word. He bears them up. So the same word that spoke the world into being, let there be light, now calls the sun to shine in Chessington and the snow not to fall but have to be created in South Korea for the Olympics. He calls the stars to glisten and the rivers to flow. He holds the atoms of the universe together by his word. You, at this moment in time, are totally dependent upon the sun, sustaining you that you even have life and exist. You're yawning because the sun wants you to. Without him, the atoms of your body would fly off into the universe, into nothingness. He's got not just the whole world in his hands, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got everyone in his hands. Uh, we, we take some people more seriously than others, don't we? You know, I, I try and take my wife seriously, but it's a struggle. <laughs> I do take the doctor seriously, though. I, t- I take the consultant more seriously than the GP when I get to see them after a year and a half. We, we take some people more seriously than others, don't we? How seriously should we take the one who sustains our very existence by the power of his word? That's why it's not just madness to try and live without Jesus, it's suicide. It's not just offensive to think we've got the right to rule our own lives, it's high treason. You see, I suppose we could put it like this, you show me the universe you've made, I'll show you the world you've got the right to rule over. You show me the life you you sustain by the power of your will, and I'll show you the life where you can decide what happens day by day. But but if this son is your king, if this son is the one you follow, then, then there is nothing, there is no one who is higher. From his throne, there is there is not a moment of your existence over which he's not totally sovereign. And there's no safer place than to be in his hands, to be in his grasp. The Bible says no one and nothing can take you out of the hands of the sun. About three o'clock this morning, door opens, pitter-patter of little feet. Some of us know that experience. Yeah, semi-conscious father opens bed, envelops sun and bed. Sun feels safe. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it is utterly ridiculous that when we get into the clutches of our parents, we feel safe. Most of us who are parents couldn't defend our children from anyone, let alone the thing they've been dreaming of. But as a child, you feel safe there, don't you? But because you think, this person is so much stronger and, and more capable, and, and he can look after me, and the, the, the scary baddies I've been dreaming about, they've gone away. But if you know the sun... Your whole life is in the hands of the one who rules everyone's lives, who rules all things. Now, we need to know that. You need to know that in a a country where Christianity is increasingly marginalized, in a workplace where you're increasingly under pressure to actively deny things that the Bible teaches. We need to know Jesus is on the throne, that our king is not just a king, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We might not always understand what he's doing. We might not even always like what he's doing. But the son rules all things. And more than that, we can trust him. 
because of the sort of son he is. He's the son who reveals fully. He's the son who rules fully. And he is the son who redeems fully. Again, look at verse 3 with me. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What would you do if you were the highest being in the universe? If you ruled over all things, if, if everything you saw was your right to use as you wanted, what would you do? Would you come in humility, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, and be made into a person and become a servant to death, even death upon the cross for people who hated and ignored you? Because that's what Verse 3 says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When I, when I go on holiday, I like to do like manly stuff. You know, cut wood. I like cutting wood. Cutting wood is manly, isn't it? I'm sorry, okay, I know there's inherent sexism in that comment, and I'm sure there are lots of women here who love to cut wood, and I've got quite a lot of wood you can cut in my garden if you'd like to. I can't be bothered to do it at the moment. But sometimes I really enjoy wood cutting. Now, wielding the axe is a manly thing. But even better than that feeling, because it does wear off after a while, about an hour of splitting wood, is the sitting down for the cup of tea, the manly cup of tea. I'd like to have a cold beer, but I don't like beer, so I have to do with tea. I'm sitting down for the manly cup of tea, having cut the wood. You sit down. That's that satisfied feeling. I've, I've accomplished something. Well, well, the son is sitting down. Why? Because he has provided purification for sins. The hands that threw the stars into space were to cruel nails surrendered. So he could bear the punishment for the way we have offended him. See, he is the creator we've rejected. He is the ruler we've disobeyed. He is the life giver we've ignored. He is the lover we've hated. He came to provide purification for all the ways we've soiled our own lives by treating him and other people badly. And when he died, it wasn't that he had nothing more to give. It wasn't that Jesus cried out, oh, I'm finished. No, it was that there was nothing more to give for us to be pure. It is finished. He has provided purifications, so we don't have to. Once, once you're pure, you're pure. There are no more sacrifices to be made. No more sin to be dealt with. No, no more stain to cleanse, no more price to pay, no more punishment to take, no more guilt to deal with, even if you still feel guilty, it has been dealt with. He's done it all. He sat down. In purification terms, he's put his feet up. He's taking it easy. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priest in the temple, uh, they would take an animal, and it was to symbolize somebody dying in the place of sin. So the, the, the lamb would be killed, the blood sprinkled on the altar, a sacrifice made, the lamb then burnt by the priest, and you knew that your sin was dealt with. The problem was, out goes the priest again, gets another lamb for the next person. Out goes the priest again, gets another lamb for the next person. 
again and again and again and again. And of course, once they've got, say, through the whole population of Jerusalem, the problem is the first person sinned again, they're coming back again. It's round and round. You never got to sit down, you're worked off your feet. It was worse than being a young mum at home, being a priest in the Old Testament. You never got to sit down because purification of sins never ended. But Jesus sits down. Because you can't clean something that's clean. You can't purify something that's pure. You can't get the stain out of something that's spotless. And it's not just there's, there's no need for more purification of sins. It's impossible. Because that's how you are if you trust in Jesus. Do you know that? Totally pure. Solely because of his work on the cross. And it's been done. Past tense has provided through his blood shed to cleanse us. Now, we actually heard the same thing last week, didn't we? About Christ dying for sins on the cross. But, but if you're anything like me, it didn't really take to get far into the week before that was no longer at the center of your thinking. The love of God given for you to make you pure and spotless before him at the cost of his own son wasn't anymore at the top of your to-do list. Wasn't the thing you were dwelling on most. Life had smashed its way into your consciousness once again. And so we need to come back and see the Son reveals fully who God is. The Son rules fully the universe he made. The Son redeems fully the people he died for. And now he sits in the most privileged position in the universe. And so the writer says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And we think, what's all this stuff about angels? Why there's so much about angels? Well, actually, in verse 4, there's a more important word than angels. It comes again and again in Hebrews. It's in verse 4 twice. Do you see it? Superior. That's what Hebrews is about. How superior Jesus is. How much better Jesus is. Thirteen times in thirteen chapters, we're going to get the same message. Jesus is better than anything you can think of. And so what the writer does is he goes through the Old Testament and he lines up quote after quote to show us how much Jesus is superior here to the angels. He's using the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the one he'd have in his day. So, so it doesn't quite exactly marry up to the Hebrew translation we have in our Bibles. But, but the essence of every verse is the same. Did you see how much better he is? Uh, in verse 5, he's better because he's been declared son in Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. He's the heir of all things. Uh, he's better because he rules all things. Do you see that in verse 8? Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. He's better than the angels because in verse 7, they were created, but actually he's the creator of all things. Verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. He can do what he wants with his creation, the sun. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. That the one who hangs stars in the universe in the same way we put baubles on a Christmas tree will and can roll up creation in the same way we might roll up a sleeping bag or a bit of, bit of wallpaper. 
But he, he will never end. He simply is the son who's existed before space-time. You can't have before space-time, can you? And will exist forever and ever. Even better, he's defeated all his enemies. We've seen already in verse 4, the son puts his feet up because he sat down. But what is he doing? Where are his feet resting? Well, look where they're resting in verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Satan, the devil, under the feet of the son. Because he never gave in to temptation like you and me. But he was obedient even to death. Sin, defeated by the son. Because he died taking all our sin at the cross. Death defeated by the Son, because he drew death's sting with his own death and then rose to show that death has no more power and the grave is defeated. Are you sitting there? I like to imagine it more like an armchair of heaven rather than the throne, with his feet on this footstool. Under his feet, Satan and sin and death. Irrelevant, because the Son has won. But well, why angels? Why angels in verse 14? Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Well, well, to understand that, we're going to have to look at the last thing. You see, we have this huge and glorious picture of the Son. He is the only reason we're here. He's the only reason anyone is here. He's the only reason the universe is here. He's the only reason that we can know God, we want to know God, we will know God, we'll get to be with God. And so what does the writer say in verse 2, chapter 2 and verse 1? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It's the only command in this passage. Pay the most careful attention to the Son. Of course you must pay the most careful attention to the Son. I mean, if you, if you understand who the Son is, of course, why would you not want to pay attention to the Son? If someone cropped up at the back of the building and you were plugged into a life support system and they were standing beside the plug with their finger over the switch, you'd pay them attention. That is what the Son has over you this morning. If you were standing before uh, a, a, a ruler of all things and you were totally guilty and they had every right to punish you with death and there was someone who could come and plead your case, you'd be listening to them. But that is what the Son does for us, according to Hebrews. Pay the most careful attention to the Son. Otherwise, you will drift. Not you might be slightly less effective as a Christian. Not you might not grow spiritually as you should really. But you'll drift. See, the image is of a Christian like a ship. And the ship's in the harbor, but it's it's become untied from its moorings. And and quickly it drifts out to sea on the current, swept away by the worries of this life, the deceit of sin, the desire for wealth, drawn effortlessly along in the currents of status without really realizing what's going on, drifting in image and career and the desire for comfort. If you don't pay the most careful attention, says the writer, you will drift. Do you know one of the most frightening things? You don't have to do anything to stop following Jesus. 
In fact, not doing anything is the best way to stop following Jesus. I was, I was chatting to a friend not long ago about, about how we react, how I react when we know we're wrong. You know when you know you're doing something wrong? Well, when even we're doing something we know is disobeying God? That's when we don't do anything. We definitely don't ask our Christian mate about whether it's a good thing to do. We definitely don't go to church as much because then we might hear a talk about why it's not a good thing to do. We don't pick up the Bible and read it because there's a chance then God will tell us it's not a good thing to do. We just don't do anything and then no one tells us we're doing anything wrong. Doing nothing is the quickest route to disaster in the Christian life. You see, I think Satan, he won't smash your faith with the sledgehammer of apostasy. That's, that's the idea of disbelief now. No, he's much more likely to erode it with the necessity of swimming lessons for your children on a Sunday morning. He's unlikely to make you turn from Christ completely, but he'll so fill your vision with other things that the Lord Jesus just gets obscured. You can't quite see why he's important anymore. He's not going to sink the faith, chip of your faith with, with a torpedo. No, he just unties you from the anchor that's Christ so that you drift out into the sea of conformity. And before you know it, you're just like everyone else. You're someone who used to go to church. That, that was the danger for these Hebrew Christians. We're going to see in Hebrews that they started the Christian life well, so well, there were even times when they rejoiced in having their property confiscated because they were Christian. But the heat appears to be turned up. And therefore, they're being challenged not to stick with Jesus, but to drift back to Judaism. Hebrews is probably written to Jewish Christians. We think that because of the amount of Jewish context in the book. And the thing about Judaism in the Roman Empire of the first century is it was socially acceptable. You could do it. It meant you'd got no grief from your Jewish family. It meant you got no grief from the authorities. But Christianity, that was beginning to be right out. Being Christian got you into trouble with your neighbors who thought you were weird. It got you into trouble with the authorities who thought you were subversive. It even got you into trouble with your Jewish family because they thought you were betraying your upbringing. So if you want the quiet life, you just let go of that radical sort of Bible-believing, in-your-face Christian stuff where Jesus is the Son supreme over all and drift back into some nice nominal Judaism, turning up to church once in a while and trying to be a good person. That's why the writer spends so long showing why the sun is better than angels. Because it's angels that the Jews believed gave them God's law. Have a look down at verses 2 and 3 with me. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So when Stephen speaks in Acts chapter 7 in the speech about Jewish history, he says this in Acts 7.53, you have received the law that was given through angels but not obeyed it. You see, the Old Testament law, says our, our writer, you, you knew you got punished if you violated that or if you disobeyed that, if you failed to keep that, and that punishment could be as serious as death. But, but this is the salvation of the Son we've heard about. This is the message of the one who gives life to all things and laid down his life for us. Don't you think rejecting that message is even more serious? I have the huge privilege of talking to loads of people about Jesus. Being the pastor of a church, they kind of expect it. 
And uh, one of the things is, I often feel that I talk to people about Jesus in the same way I sort of offer them a cup of tea. You know, would you like Jesus? He's nice. He's warming. He's good for you. And he's totally inconsequential. I think the salesman often who calls me up from Mumbai is more passionate about what he's selling. He's certainly more persistent than I am. I think I need a little bit more of the tone of verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Uh, That word ignore, by the way, in the original, I think it's better translated make light of, are careless with, neglect. This isn't, oh, I can't be bothered with that Christianity lark anymore. This is just I'm a bit too busy. A bit too busy to to go to church. It's, it's an option, not a priority. Just, just can't make that Bible study. It's an extra in my life, not a necessity. Two services on a Sunday, that's, that's for the old folk or for the keenies, you know, or the people without kiddies. It's not a, not a glorious opportunity to hear more of the sun. I mean, if at 6.30 this evening, your favorite band was playing, you'd be here, wouldn't you? If I said, free tickets, your favorite band, live at the King Center, 6.30, you would change your life to make it here. But don't worry, all we're going to be doing is talking about the one who holds your life in his hands, created you, and died to save you. So you don't need to turn up. Pay more, most careful attention to the sun. And the message of the sun, the writer tells us, is, it didn't just come from angels it came from the lord himself and it's been testified to those who saw him and then god confirms it with signs and wonders and gifts of the holy spirit god has put this message in bold in capitals in italics underlined and he's shouted it into the world this is my son whom i love listen to him some people think I'm, I'm a bit intense. <laughs> they think I'm a bit of a bore sometimes. I can see it in their faces when I ask them about, you know, not seeing you at church for a while. Got to keep Daph happy. A bit intense, isn't he, Daph? You know, thought it was all about grace. It is all about grace. It's absolutely all about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son who was given to us. But the reason I'm intense about people coming to church and going to life group and trying to make the prayer meeting a priority is there are empty seats this morning and some of them are filled on other weeks by people we see rarely and in 20 years of ministry there are people who I know who've not paid careful attention to the sun and would no longer call themselves Christians I'm intense because of Hebrews 2 verse 1 we must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away why wouldn't you do that to the Jesus who reveals God to you through him you know your loving father in heaven there's no greater privilege who rules your universe fully without him you'd cease to exist there is no greater power who redeems you fully He has done everything to cleanse you from your sin. There is no greater love. So we must pay the most careful attention to the message we've heard about the Son. 
Wasn't that John's testimony to us over the last year? If you look at any of the interviews that John Tilson did, what he'd say is that as death draws closer, everything else doesn't seem quite as important as knowing the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as being with the Son, as seeing the Son face to face. Because the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The Son is the one who, after he had provided purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So pay the most careful attention you can to the message about the Son. Let's pray together. moment's quiet as you consider what you think of Jesus. And then you think about how much attention you're paying to him. And whether you could pay more careful attention to the message of the Son. Lord Jesus Christ, there is no one more beautiful than you who reveals perfectly who God is to us. There is no one more powerful than you who gives us the very breath that we breathe. There is no one more loving than you who has purified us from all that we have done, all that we are doing, and all that we will do that is offensive to yourself. There is no one who should be more precious to us than God's Son. Please help us to pay the most careful attention to the message about you. For your name's sake. Amen.